0: We learn our responsibilities as Christian men this morning, as we look through God's word at First Peter to see what God has called us to do. So if you would, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, today we come to you. Through the merits of Christ, thankful for the gift of salvation, thankful for our calling and our placement in the body of Christ and in our relationship to our spouse. As we studied last week the role and responsibility of Christian women as wives, God, I pray that you would open our eyes today to see and understand the weightiness of our responsibility as Christian husbands. God, it's through the the uh, relationship of marriage that the beauty of your love for the church is made much of and magnified and God, we pray that you would use us as husbands to reflect accurately the love and protection of Christ as we dwell with our wives, live with our wives in an understanding way, honoring them as you have understood and honored and cared for your church. Help us to do this this morning so that you, again, would be made much of and that your your people would be strengthened as they look to you for strength, as they obey your commands. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Just, just up front, just so you know, last week and this week, it's all of grace. A woman's role in marriage, a man's role in marriage, it's all of grace. It is, a, it is required that we constantly, constantly look to Christ for our strength in our different roles as Christians and our responsibilities. And that's that's something we can't ever take for granted. And today, what we're going to be covering as we study 1 Peter 3 is we're going to be looking at some really practical ways that men apply basically doctrine or God's, God's calling on their life as leaders in the home, how they apply this outwardly in response to God's inward calling in salvation and placing them in the home in which they dwell as husbands. And throughout this book, throughout the book of 1 Peter, we see that God is calling for Christians to reflect basically their inner work, the inner work of Christ, the inner work of salvation in an outward situation. God's calling us to reflect what God has done in us, in our relationships outwardly, in all of life. And what Peter does is he moves in this book. You've seen this already in chapter one, two and now three, how Peter moves from one type of relationship that Christians are called to serve into into another type and each one becoming a little more intimate, a little more maybe difficult in that regard, because it requires much more reliance on Christ rather than our own strength. And basically, he's showing us how that God moves us through his sovereign grace into these relationships so that we could basically be transformed by his grace and declare that in an intimate way to those around us. In, in chapter 3, 1 through 7, we're not going to read the text just yet, but in 1 through 7, what God is doing, he's calling for Christians to display, again, the inner work, the inner work of Christ, the inner work of God's great mercy in an outward manifestation through their behavior. These passages deal with the behavior of Christians in the most intimate of relationships, in the relationship of marriage. Last week, we saw verses 1 through 6 how how God's grace, his unmerited favor, is displayed through a Christian wife's willing submission and Christ-like adornment for the sake of her husband's salvation. And today, in verse 7, we'll see how God's grace is displayed or made manifest through a Christian husband's Christ-like leadership of his wife, now, when I read this text, it almost seems like we 're cruising along here, talking about the great salvation we have, and then we talk about some some responsibilities we have, and you still kind of come to this text going, "Why is this all that important in first peter why, why is God emphasizing this in First Peter chapter three, right in the middle of the book, that we need to take what 's been done to us inwardly and manifest it outwardly? well, because something was transpiring in the day of Peter that also needs to still transpire today. The gospel brings transformation of everything in our life. And in Peter's day, this this needed to be manifest in a very visible way, that the role between husband and wife would be transformed by the gospel, by becoming joint heirs with Christ. It would remove some of the stigma of the pagan thought of the day. And it's still supposed to do that for us here today. It, It should help us as we go through this, men, to remove some false concepts you may have because of our culture, you're going to be confronted this morning. I'm just going to tell you that. And it's very hard for me to do it because it's first and foremost confronted to me because Peter rebukes me here and you're going to be rebuked this morning and I hope in a way that you'll repent and, and return in thankfulness to what God has called you to do as husbands. But it's very important that we have our view of marriage and our role of husbands shaped by scripture, not by culture. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And in the time of Peter, the, the cultural time that he lived in, the reason this was so important is in Peter's day, when we read the, read the text in in, first, or in 3-7, we'll see he's, he's called to do something toward women that wasn't the norm of the culture. In, in Peter's day, women were not considered worthy of consideration or understanding. And they certainly weren't worthy of honor, respect. They weren't worthy. They weren't, They weren't worth much to men at that time period. They were considered more like utensils, or we could say vessels, privy pots, basically things that were basically discarded once they are wore out. They served for a purpose, domestic duties, and childbearing. That was their only worth in the eyes of the culture. And sadly, some still think that in our culture. They still view women sometimes with a, a view more like Peter's Day than like the scriptures say. And we, we understand something, though, by reading chapter 1 and 2, we understand that it's through God's great mercy in the gospel of Christ that every sphere of the Christian's life is transformed, including our view of women, our view of husbands, our view of wives. And everything in our life inwardly is transformed, and it manifests in our behavior outwardly. Where there is no outward manifestation of an inward work, there is lack of evidence that there truly was an inward work of salvation, so, so, men, the way in which you treat your, your wives is also a testimony to the inward work of Christ. Humbling you, calling you to a high calling. Get this, men, you're called to represent Jesus in your marriage. You're called to follow his example. And again, apart from grace, that's impossible. But by grace, you've been transformed through the gospel. And notice this in 2.9, what grace does. Look what it says in two nine. He says, but you are a chosen race. Now, understand in the context, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles. Not just Jews who understood some of these terms, but Gentiles who were excluded. They were common. They were utensils, privy pots considered by the Jews as worthless. But now he says, you are a called out race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And how did he possess us? He purchased us with the blood of Christ, his own son. He did that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were not you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have been mercied. You've received mercy. You were once common vessels like the way they viewed the women of the culture. you were once common vessels who, by God's grace, have been turned into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people purchased by God. Now you're considered, as you read down further in this text in, in chapter 2 or throughout chapter 2, he talks about us being living stones, precious stones, precious vessels. That's what Peter's calling for when we look at our wives. See them through the lens of the gospel. They're now joint heirs. They're now part of that royal priesthood, that chosen race, that holy nation, that people for God's own possession. They've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. And a gospel-centered vision will change the way you view And relate to your wife inwardly and outwardly. Because they're not common vessels anymore. You see them not as common, but as precious vessels. Set apart, sanctified by God. And they are to be understood and they are to be protected. They are to be protected and understood through our strength and our leadership, men. This is our responsibility. And if you're going to reflect Christ accurately, you must be willing to die to your selfishness. To give your life to service for your wife. Again, apart from grace, you're not going to do it. So you look to Christ, how he did it, how he considered others as more important than himself, according to Philippians 2. And he went to the cross with joy, knowing what he would accomplish for the sake of those who were not really worthy, but who that were loved by God. Therefore, men, you should love and lead your wife in the same way Christ loved and lead us to salvation. Through his sacrifice. That kind of leadership in a man displays where our true strength lies. One of the things Peter's going to address here is the false idea that men have, because they are men, they're created in the order of God first, that they do have authority, but he's going to squish the idea that men use their masculinity to dominate women through an overbearing attitude or a a very harsh attitude approach to our wives. Instead, he's going to say you need to display true strength, not physical strength, spiritual strength and authority that reflects Jesus's leadership that is in your heart leading you to humility, leading you to reflect God's mercy outwardly in your relationship to your wives. We're to be reflectors of the work of Christ outwardly of what he's doing in us inwardly. If we love the grace of Jesus, we love the grace that God has bestowed upon us, we should therefore be very gracious in regard to our leadership, to our spouse. Again, this is a high calling, and I am primarily preaching to me this morning. I fall far short of the commands here, and I wonder sometimes why I struggle in prayer. And Peter tells us why, because if you neglect what God has called you to do as a man, In your union with your wife, your communion with God will be affected. That's very clear. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 to get the context and focus on verse 7 this morning. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that... Even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Again, that's the inward transformation that God has produced in them is overflowing outside of them into their behavior toward their husbands. Because the husbands, it says, verse two, they will observe your chaste and respectful, reverential behavior. Your adornment must not merely be or be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses But let it be the hidden person, the inward person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's the reflective quality of Christ inside of you, women. It's precious. It's beautiful in the sight of God, he says here. For in this way, the former times in former times, the holy women, the set apart women, the sacred women, the chosen women who also hoped in God or also hoped in God. They used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham Calling him master or lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, hmm. as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Verse 7 is almost an enigma. Because you've just read six verses that talk about women be submissive to your husbands. And then the subservient woman is now called to be honored above the man by the husband. The servant who receives the honor kind of reminds you of Christ, does it not? The one who willingly submitted to the father's plan for our salvation is now the one who is honored and sets at the right hand of God in authority. Peter's telling us, I'll give you an outline. Peter tells us that a a Christian husband's strength is seen when he, number one, understands his wife's nature. A, A Christian husband's strength is seen when he understands his wife's nature. And number two, when he assigns his wife honor. And number three, a Christian husband's strength is seen when his prayers are unhindered. A man's Spiritual strength and leadership in the home is seen when he understands his wife's nature, assigns his wife honor, and his prayers are unhindered. Actually, three is the result of the first two. Christian husbands display Christ-like strength and leadership when they, number one, understand their wife's nature. That's what it says in verse 7. You husbands, he's addressing you men of God, you men that are believers. He's speaking to believers in this case. You husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she's a woman. He begins, again, by addressing husbands. But then he says in the same way. Now, lest you misunderstand Peter here because of a Greek to English translation, you need to understand the thought process. It doesn't mean husbands are to submit like wives. That's not what he's talking about. Husbands have a distinct role in marriage, and it's not subservient. It is leadership. He's the lead like Christ. And he tells us in the same way, and then he tells us what kind of way. It's an understanding way, and a way that would strengthen, and a way that would protect your wife. So in the same way as what is your question? When you read that, you should be asking yourself a question. Okay, Peter, husbands in the same way. Well, I'm thinking it's verse 6, or 1 through 6. In the same way as women? No. In the same way, what he means is, as Christian women, in the same way that Christian women... Show through their outward behavior the reflection of Christ's work inside of them. So men should show the work of Christ inside of them through their distinct role in an outward way toward their wives. Do you understand that? It's, it's through the work of, of the inward work of Christ that we are to both reflect His work in us out of great thanks in our behavior toward our spouse. In yet the distinct role in which we're called, we're complementarian. We don't mix the roles. They're distinct. She submits, but to submit, she needs to have leadership. And if you're going to be a leader and if you don't have someone submitting, then it's hard to lead because there's no one there. But that leadership and that submission in the same way is to reflect the inward transformation of Christ through the gospel. If you're thankful for what he's done in your heart, you'll be thankful for the spouse he placed beside you. And you'll treat her appropriately. Verses verse three, seven. We're really going to look at seven. We're going to break it down into a whole lot of little pieces. But three, seven, a that would mean the first phrase in this passage. He tells us to to live with our wives in an understanding way. Well, he tells us how really to to, to be uh, in the same way as the women in the sense that we are showing an outward behavior. He tells us to live, live. This is a very interesting word. Um, in the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word has to do with sexual intimacy. Okay? Peter broadens it a little bit further, but doesn't neglect that part of it. Dwell with her in union, is what he means. Dwell with her or lay beside her intimately, is what he's saying. So in other words, become very acquainted with your wife in the sexual term and in a spiritual way, is what he's going to address here. Basically, what he means is if, you could, if we, could, I tried to break it down into some kind of an English way of understanding this is: intertwine your life so tightly into your wife that her desires and your desires look the same. You know what's going on inside of her. You know what makes her tick. You know what she desires. You know what she needs. Dwell with her. Seek to understand her, her needs physically, intimately, and spiritually. And one of the ways we do that, men, spiritually, is we seek the good of our wives above the good of ourselves. Wow, and this is the part, guys, that's going to be hard, okay? Because our culture dictates to us as men, sadly, that our wives are here to serve us. And not the fact that the way Scripture talks about it. They serve us by leading us to thankfulness for Christ. But no, our culture still says today that women are here to basically gratify our needs, And Peter is saying something a little bit different here. He's telling us how we are to dwell with our wives, how we are to initiate this dwelling, how we are to be responsible as men for the intimacy in marriage. Again, our culture doesn't say that to us today. It puts the responsibility on women to do that. When I look at this, I ask, how can we live with our wives the way Peter is calling for? What's required to do that? Well, I guess the idea here is, is basically live In such a way that you're in constant communion with your wife. So you have to ask yourself, how much time do you spend with your wife? As opposed to other things. Because he says, live with her in an understanding way. And the literal term there of understanding is, live with her according to knowledge. Gnosis. According to the facts that you know about her. Well, you cannot dwell united closely to her, in union with her, intimately with her, unless you really spend time with her. And, men, this is hard because if you're going to understand your wife's spiritual needs, you may have to uh, put aside some of your wants. It's hard. It's difficult, especially, again, in a culture that wants to dictate dictate to us as men that we ought to get whatever we want whenever we want it. And if our wives don't like it, then they can stay in the house while we go to the shop. It may mean that we as men need to spend less time pursuing our own pleasures to pursue the pleasures of our wife. Maybe watch less TV, maybe spend less time on the internet, maybe spend less time fishing, hunting, working on the farm, talking to other men. It's great to have good fellowship with guys, but you do that to the neglect of your wife, you have failed as a husband to obey God's command. If you know more about the other men in this church than you do about your wife, you need to repent and ask God for forgiveness. Peter puts a responsibility when you go through this text. When you go through this text and you read it in its, in its entirety and in its full chapter, what Peter is saying in verse 7, after we get this great picture of submission in verses 1 through 6, is Peter's saying the responsibility, and Paul will agree with him, but Peter says the responsibility for closeness and intimacy dwelling together in union falls on the heads of the husband, not on the wife. Again, if... We believe the lie of our culture and of Satan. We'll let the culture dictate to, dictate to us our responsibility in leadership, and in the pursuit of our wife intimately. Now, we, unfortunately, we can tie that word intimately. We we derive that or we drive that directly to sexual intimacy. That's not all that Peter is talking about. What he's talking about is it's your responsibility, men, to romance your wives, to know your wives, to serve your wives. It's not her responsibility. To initiate, it's yours. It's yours. And when you lead like that, she will respond. When you lead like Christ leads, and you initiate love first, not seeking your own pleasure, but the good of others, your wife, she will respond like the church responds to Christ with thankfulness and willing submission. And for a husband to do this, again, you have to spend time with her, but you also have to understand how to minister to her. It's not just looking at your wife and going, oh, i got to please her. I've got to do everything for her to make her happy. Part of your responsibility is to edify spiritually. It means you men need to be the theologians of your home. You need to be feeding your wives the word, leading your wives in worship. This is your calling. You're to reflect Jesus in that regard. Live with your wife, what Peter is saying, live with your wife in an understanding way. Live with her in light of the knowledge or the understanding that you have received from God's word. Look at the, the knowledge you've received from God's word. You can see it even in chapter two. Well, we won't look at it specifically, but in chapter two or chapter one, we know that we've received great mercy. We have both received great mercy from God. God has chosen us and called us to salvation. Therefore, we need to edify our wives with that knowledge when she is weary. And worried about life. Remind her what the scriptures say. Dwell with her in an understanding way. Understanding how to apply scripture to her life specifically. And guys, for you to do that, that means you're going to have to be studying not only your wife's needs, but God's word. This is not an out to come here this morning. This is a beginning to an end. The end would be to the result of the glory of God In your relationship to your wife, as you minister the word to her, you wash her in the word, you cleanse her in the word, you purify, set her apart in the word, you nourish and cherish her in the word. And again, you take care of the spiritual side and the outward side will also come much more easily. You will see her as a sister in Christ and remember that you have both received the agape of Christ himself, the love of Christ, and you will share that love with her willingly you look out for her advantages, not your own. That's what you're called to do as husbands. Now, in 3 7a, part two, <laughs> in 3 7a, Peter calls for husbands here to understand, to understand and live with our wives. He says, now, again, our culture doesn't like the terminology here. Dwell with her, live with her, be you intertwined with her as someone weaker than you, since she's a woman. It's comparative. All he's saying is compared to you in your physical demeanor, not your spiritual relationship to God, not in your intellectual ability. You're not inferior, women. You're equal in those regards. But in your physical manifestation of your womanhood, you're physically weaker. And and not only that, I think that and this is not to say weakness as in a bad thing, but weakness as in a beautiful thing. You're more fragile emotionally than men are. You're more sensitive, in other words. And that's not weak as in bad, but weak as in beautiful. Because um, many times men, and you know this if you've been married very long, when you're trying to be strong, when you're trying to be firm, and your wife is sensitive to your needs, and she comes alongside you and you can weep with your wife, that's a beautiful thing because she's been weeping for you. So praise God for that. But again, Peter is saying, dwell with her as someone weaker, not, again, mentally inferior or anything else, but just more physically weak and emotionally sensitive than you are. Deal with her with, in an understanding way. And when you do that, you'll learn how to treat her practically in a way that would honor God. When, guys, this is what you're called to do. Constantly study God's word to know what brought you together in the, in the, as heirs of grace, And then study your wife's needs. You're called to be her her in-house priest in that sense. You're called to lead her spiritually and and do that practically. And the, the reason Peter says this, again, goes back to a cultural issue. He says, deal with her in an understanding or live with her in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman. And what he's saying is to men, and guys, we still need to hear this, even in our culture today. Men need to be reminded of this because our sinful tendency and our temptation since the fall of Adam is not to lead our wives tenderly and carefully in an understanding way, but is to dominate them physically and intimidate them with our personality. How many of you guys, when your wife didn't do what you asked her to do, you simply just did this? Hey, I said we need to do this. Rather than saying, hey... You know what? One of us is wrong here. Let's examine Scripture. Let's pray together. Let's seek God's will in this direction together. One of those will actually respond, or bring bring about a response of joyful submission. The other, maybe not so much. Maybe maybe rebellion. Maybe heels grinding. What Paul's saying or Peter's saying here is: this is our tendency. So be aware, guys. Be aware of your physical demeanor it can sometimes be intimidating. We're not to dominate, we're to lead. There's a a difference here. Christ led the church. Though he has all authority, he humbled himself to become a servant, to lead us to see God and his glory. Peter and Paul both emphasize this. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians 5, you'll see this. Ephesians 5, 25. Paul and, and Peter both... Tell us that husbands are to treat their wives like Christ treats the church. Treats his bride. We are to treat her in a very specific way, in a very precious way. Again, you don't see in this passage domineering intimidation of the church. You see a willing submission and sacrificial care and nurturing and cherishing and honoring and understanding and passion and compassion poured out on Christ's bride. That's what husbands are to reflect. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And this is talking about a love that is to seek her good without seeking anything in return. And that is difficult, guys, because especially when we're talking about the issues of intimacy, sometimes we'll initiate the relationship with the desire for something in return. And he's actually saying that is not the way in which you truly should be considering your wife. She is not a pagan vessel for your own satisfaction. She is a child of God, a daughter of Sarah in that regard. You are to honor her. You are to seek the best for her. The rest, intimacy, if you seek her to care for her physically, spiritually, the rest will follow willfully and gratefully by a woman who, loves God and wants to honor her husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that passage alone is easy to read on the surface level. Okay, yeah, okay. I'll give up stuff for her. I'll go shopping with her. I'll go to this place with her. I'll do that for her. And that's not what he's saying. Be willing to lay down everything in your life For the sake of your spouse, put her needs above your own, just as Christ put his our needs above his own to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says he did that so that he might set her apart, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I just love verse 26. It pictures a man picking a bride in this culture in Ephesians, a bride who would not be that worthy Probably a bride who would have came from the culture of pornography, a culture of prostitution. And it pictures this man picking this woman up that no one wanted, that no one cared about, and tenderly washing away the impurities, making her a bride that is beautiful and godly and a reflection of his mercy. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We're to called to, to come alongside our wives when they struggle, when they have difficulties and when they sin and to spiritually edify them, correct them, love them, have compassion on them, wash them in the word like Christ. Verse 27 says that he might he does this. He does this so he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ also does the church okay men you know verses 28 and 29 are true you do whatever it takes to make yourself happy Physically, if you 're hungry, you do whatever it takes, you seek nourishment, you take care of yourself. he 's saying in those base, that base level of humanity of as men as, as creatures, as you pursue all these things that are necessary for your own edification and your own survival, you need to be seeking that for your wives. You need to be seeking their help and their or their to serve them and help them rather than serving and helping yourself. Now listen. That doesn't mean asceticism. It doesn't mean you're going to deprive yourself and look all down. Oh, my! I, I'm serving my wife. It doesn't mean that at all because that's not joyful leadership. It's leadership like Christ, who went to the garden and he prayed, "Lord, if it be Your will, let this cup pass." But nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. Let Your will be done. I want to go. He he went to the cross, despised. He, he took the shame for us, willfully. He made himself a sacrifice to treasure us, to love us, to honor us. And not because we're worthy, but because God has called him to lead us to see the glory and the honor of his heavenly father. And husband, that's what you're called to do in your relationship to your wife, to lead your wife to see the glory of God in Christ. Go back in Peter 3, 7. Peter says, treat your wife. He says, I think the King James may say a weaker vessel, like a weaker vessel, um, but not a weak vessel. Okay. It, it, treat your wife like you would. It's, it's really hard to grasp this in the English. Um, treat your wife like you would a preciously fragile, valuable vase. A Precious vessel. Treat your wife not, not in a demeaning way because she's weak and she can't handle certain situations and so I've got to step up and do it all for her. No, you treat her in a special way because she's valuable. She's fragile. And your job is to be her protector and the one who cleanses her, the one who guides her like Christ cleanses and guides the church. God has given you this great, glorious woman to bring him honor as the way you care for her as Christ cares for the church. God formed her God made her who she is as a weaker vessel, a beautiful vessel. And he's given you the stewardship over that vessel. So what Peter is saying is you need to treat your wives, understand, live and understand with your wives as a weaker vessel, a fragile, beautiful vessel formed by God. Treat her as if you are a steward of the grace of God in that regard, because it is a grace. If you're married to a godly woman, you have been immensely graced by God. It is a great privilege to have a wife who fears the Lord and according to Proverbs 31 is to be praised in her response to her care for her home. What Peter does here in verse 3-7 is he, he warns us a little bit as well as instructs us how to care for our wives. He warns us that we need to learn how to handle our wives carefully. Um, it's very important that we do this it, again, because it's not just that we're handling her for our own service, but we're handling her to reflect the love of Christ for his church. That's what's going on. You husbands, in the same way, dwell with your wives in an intimate way, understanding her spiritual needs and her physical needs, and do so with, as with someone who is weaker, not using your masculinity to dominate her, to intimidate her, but to lead her and care for her. Show her honor, he says next. Show her honor. That's the second thing we see in 3.7b. He tells Christian husbands to display a Christ-like leadership and strength in the way in which you assign your wife honor and respect. Show her honor it literally is translated, assign great worth to your wife. She's a fragile, beautiful vessel created by God, put into your stewardship, and she is valuable She is preciously worthy of value because God has created her. God has saved her and God has placed her beside you to serve you for his glory. And what's interesting here, grammatically, when it says show her honor, it doesn't mean like when you open the car door, you know, or the front door of the house or you go out on a date, you you show a little bit of honor there. Or, Or it doesn't mean at the altar when you were married, you showed her great honor. Actually, the context and the way it's written grammatically is this is a present active participle. It means you show her honor continually until death do you part. You revere her. You set her apart as a sacred instrument of God. You show her great honor continually until you depart to be with the Lord. That's your calling as a man. Again, who does she represent? The church. Does Jesus ever let down his guard and protection of the church? No. Therefore, men, you you are not to let down your protection of your wives. You're to show her great honor. It's been assigned to you by God to protect her. She is, again, she is a sister in Christ given to you as a stewardship to watch over her passionately by being dwelling close together and sacrificially and carefully because she is a woman made by God Continual honor for your wife is a reflection, again, of God's continual care for his church. Christ's continual protection and purification of his church, as we saw back in Ephesians 5. If you looked at Ephesians 5, 29, you'll notice the last part of that passage says that the the husband is basically to cherish and nourish his wife like he would his own body. The word cherish is the same kind of word as honor. You are to cherish your wives. And in cherishing her, you are to apply God's word to her to purify her, to set her apart into God's service, to serve with you. And Paul and Peter both again address that throughout every time you read the context of dealing with marriage. They call husbands to constantly apply the word of God to a wife's life, to instruct her in a way that's continually being washing of the word, continual washing of cleansing, a continual edification, a continual sanctification process. Husbands, it's an ongoing job until the two of you depart to be with the Lord. It's your privilege. It's your honor. It's your mission field. It's your place of discipleship. And by the way, if you do this long enough, your wife will also be able to disciple you as well and edify you as well because you're joint heirs, you're co-heirs with Christ. But first and foremost, it's a man's responsibility to continue this practice continually. And scripture not only tells us to do it continually, but I'm just going to take a side note here and go to Ephesians 6 to hit a very practical aspect of how we should assign honor to our wives. And men, again, I, 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 here's my, my fear for you and me, me, I, I have to include me, my fear for me and for you. My fear is this. We might do this part up front the way we're supposed to. We, we might actually spend time talking with our wives about the sermon, talking with our wives about spiritual needs. We might do all of that continually. We might be really good at that. Matter of fact, we might really like to be engaged in a conversation with our wives continually, and yet we neglect the things that we need to do to show our honor practically. Practically, it's revealed in Ephesians 6, the responsibility of husbands in leading their wives through the leadership of their family. Children... Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that you may dwell, it may, it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice, fathers are addressed in relation to showing your wife honor in the discipline of your children in the home practically. That's what I want you to see this morning. Husbands are to show honor to their wives as they model that honor to their children and their grandchildren in the home or in their sphere of influence. And husbands, that means you need to be praising your wives. Listen, this is very important. I'm actually going to read my notes directly from my paper here. Here's what I want you to understand. Husbands, you should praise your wives in such a way in your home that your children children would fear dishonoring your wife because of the love, the visible love and honor of their fathers. You should praise your wife so much and esteem her so much and care for her so much that your children would be afraid to dishonor her through one act of disobedience because they see that you love her that much. We need to teach our children to do that by teaching and treating our wives in such a way that it would would honor our love for them, and we need to enforce the fact that we value them when our children don't honor them. We enforce that by discipline. We are to discipline our children swiftly when they are disobedient or disrespectful to this precious wife. And there is nothing that's sadder to me than to see a wife disrespected by children. Allowing children to talk back to their mothers, to disobey their mothers, to abuse their mother's honor, should be dealt with quickly because it will bring not only disobedience to God's word and that child's life and God's punishment, but it will also bring shame upon your leadership as men and bring shame on your wife in the home and in public. Look at Proverbs to see that. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof. The rod and teaching, okay? It's not just the rod. Understand this. It's not just corporal punishment. It is corporal punishment and and teaching, reproof. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. It brings shame not only to mom, but it brings shame to his father as well, who's called in Ephesians 6 to lead his family well. And Peter tells us why we should do this back in Peter 1 Peter 3, 7. We are to esteem the wife that God has given us out of thankfulness for His grace and do so in such a way that it's visible in our relationship, in our home, that our children respond to it and they don't want to disrespect their mother because of the love that their father shows for their mother. Not just in verbally telling her, I love you, dear, and sharing things with her, but actually stopping disobedience and disrespect immediately. We, shouldn't, we, should, we should do that, he says, for this reason. For, for one of many reasons, but for this reason. First 1 Peter 1.3.7c 1, says, Because she is an heir of the grace of life. Now, that word grace, I think we all here know what that word means. Let's just read it like what it means. We are to live with our wives, understand our wives, care for our wives, show honor to our wives in a very specific way, continuously and practically, because she is a fellow heir of the unmerited favor of God that comes through salvation. She is weaker physically. She is under our stewardship. She is to be cared for intimately. But she is a precious fellow heir of the grace of life with us. And so we should not treat our wives any less than when we treat another brother or sister in Christ. And guys, that is one of the great dangers in Christian marriages. We'll talk about loving others. We'll talk about esteeming others. We'll talk about caring for others. And we'll neglect the very other that's right beside of us, our closest neighbor, which is our wife. And it's something we all do. I do it. I confess that sin to God, and I, I am repentant of that sin. And I don't want to go down that path again to, to neglect my wife for the sake of the church even. By the way, for, as a pastor goes, if I neglect my wife and children, I don't qualify for the pastorate. My ministry is to them first, then to the church. If I don't know how to lead them, I can't lead you. But what he what he's saying here is kind of questionable when you read this. In three seven, he doesn't get really specific because he does say the grace of life. Now, if we take that word "live" or "dwell" with your wife in an intimate way, it could sound like she's a fellow heir of the the marital union, the the gift of the gift of marriage. She's a co spouse in that sense. She's a fellow heir of the grace of marriage. I don't think contextually that's what it means. I mean, let me do, give you three things that I think it might mean. The unmerited favor that Peter's speaking of could, could mean, number one, the gift of adoption into God's family. Look at Galatians 3 to see that. Galatians three twenty-eight. It could mean this. Treat your wife in the way that Peter's calling for here because she is a fellow heir of adoption, a fellow sister in Christ, according to God's mercy here in 328 of Galatians, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. It could mean that it could. And I think it means that. But also it could mean this unmerited favor could mean that it, it's the gift of marital union, togetherness until death do we part. That's what look what Proverbs eighteen says. That actually, Proverbs eighteen twenty two. Speaks of finding a wife, having a wife brought to us by God's grace is an act of favor. That's what it says. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I always tell Sherry she is my good thing. And I mean that in the best possible way, because I've obtained the unmerited favor of the lord so it could mean the unmerited favor is the gift of adoption into god's family or it could mean the gift of marital union or it could mean both i happen to think it means both i think it means both because of this what is the central theme so far of 1 peter it's talking about salvation our calling our election the gift that god has brought to us by his great mercy Our adoption. So I know that that is part of what Peter has in mind. It's it's that we've been given this adoption. We've been adopted together with our wives. Our wives are a child of God. We are a child of God. So we're co-heirs. We're fellow heirs. And, And I think that's part of it. But I also read 1 Peter, and I not only see that God's sovereignty is on display in salvation, but God's sovereignty is on display in basically... His care for us now and physically. He promises to watch over us when we go through suffering and hardship. And he promises to be with us and our inheritance is reserved in heaven. So I, I think he's, he's also talking about the marital union in that regard. I, I think Peter is, is clearly talking about God's command uh, to, to obey these reasons, obey this command uh, because that these women are a gift from God. And that may be a gift in the sense that they are the gift that God has purchased with Christ's own blood, a fellow heir of the grace of God in that regard, or that they are a reminder that we have been given a gift that we don't deserve as men, which is a godly wife. I think it's both. I think our wives, if you read Peter correctly, when he says, husbands, display, display the inward transformation of your heart, In the same way as women, by living with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, someone precious, since she's a woman, show her high value and honor continually and practically as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Treat her with thankfulness. Treat her as a gift. The gift of salvation given to her reflects in her own life and her submission to you. Give thanks because you don't deserve someone to be submitted to you. You deserve to be submitted to God's wrath, but instead you've received grace because Christ took your place. Now you've been given not only salvation, but you've been given a godly wife to be beside you throughout life. Look back at 3.7c. Peter ends this way. Peter ends by basically saying, do this, but if you don't do this, here's what will result. Here's your responsibility. If you neglect your responsibility... Here's what's going to happen. What he's doing is Peter's going to warn us what to expect if we neglect this great gift that God's given to us. If we neglect God's daughter, our great gift, if we neglect her in our willingness to dwell with her intimately, our willingness to understand her needs, our willingness to show her honor as a weaker vessel, give her a precious place in our life, our our willingness to to protect her in the marriage and in our family, if we don't do that, he says simply this in verse 7 c our prayers will be cut off, hewn down. They will be stopped if we neglect our wives. Now, I read a lot of commentaries on this verse, on this passage, and this part of the verse. And I heard a lot of different little things people said. And most of it was right, I think. And, and yet they struggled so hard to make it mean something else than what it just says. And it means what the plain text means. If you do not treat the wife God's given you the way he's commanded you, You will not have intimacy. You will not have union that He intends to reflect His glory. You'll be in disobedience to Him. There'll be strife in the home and your prayers will not be heard because you're not repentant. However, men, if you hear these commands and it's broken your heart and it's called you to repentance, then your prayers will not be hindered. Your prayers will go unhindered because you will Put aside yourself and you will seek her good for the glory of God. And listen, there are consequences if you don't do this outside of your own communion with God. And and one of those consequences is if you don't treat your wives the way God has ordained it, because God knows what's best for marriage. He designed it. He created it. He called you into it. He knows what's best. And if you neglect his his order of things, you're not going to have a right union with your wife either. One of the Proverbs talks about dwelling with a just woman is like dwelling in a house with a dripping roof. And it's irritating and it's miserable. And that's what it'll be. However, there's also another consequence to this. If you neglect this, you're, you're, in your neglection, you're testifying not only to your wife that you do not esteem God's word for your direction, but you also testify to the world that you, you really don't care to follow the one you call Lord. See, the world is watching us as a church. That's a great responsibility. We can't change every heart, but they do look at the church and they do see our closest of relationships and wonder why. Wives willingly submit to husbands and why husbands will sacrifice fishing and hunting and sports to serve their wives. And they'll do so with joy. They want to see why. Why is that happening? Well, it happens because we have a right communion together as the heirs of life with Christ. And the the marriage is ordained by God so that it would reflect God's love for his church. That's that's a greater consequence. When you do not interact properly in your marriage, you ref, reflect the love of God poorly to the world. See, everything about the Christian's life is an act of worship, including the way we treat our wives. So men, again, if you if you want your prayers to go unhindered, if you want your prayers to go To God and and to bring him glory and to be able to pray intimately for others and serve as you ought to. You need to do what Peter says here. You need to learn to intertwine your wives. Or your lives with your wife and and understand and honor her as a vessel chosen by God to, to be beside you as an heir of grace in this life. Then your prayers will go heard. They will be heard by God. They will not be cut off or hewn down before they ever reach God. Basically, God's saying in this passage, if you don't respect the wife I gave you, I will not listen to you. Don't expect to come to me for communion when I've commanded you to have union with your wife in a way that reflects my love for the church and you disregard it. But if you do regard his commands here as the desire of your heart, rejoice today. Repent and rejoice today. Because again, these commands are difficult. These commands are hard. But these commands are worthy of pursuit. Because that woman beside you, man, was placed there by God himself to display his glory. And display the love that he has for his church to the world. And your your duty and your delight ought to be to do what Peter says here. And next week, we'll see in verses eight following that 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 intimate relationship in the home will spill over into the church. It will affect those around you. And again, men and women, both how you interact with your spouse now makes an impact on your children and the way they'll view their spouse in the future. And you want them to walk away from mom and dad's house one day saying they loved Jesus and I saw that in their love for one another. Mutual submission and mutual service. At the same time, distinct reverence and respect for the one that was in charge in leadership. That's an amazing gift that comes to the gospel. And, and husbands, if you're going to reflect the gospel in your leadership, you're going to reflect the, the strength of Christ that's transformed your life. It will be seen in the way you love your bride, the way you care for her the way you watch over her and the way you pursue her now until the day you both go home to glory. One day, get this, as much as you love your wife, one day in glory, you'll love her more. Because she's a co-heir of the grace of God. There'll be no sinful pursuits in heaven. It'll all be made pure. And every relationship will be even greater than the one we have now with our spouse. But God is preparing us now to be effective in this world as we witness through our love to one another in our relationship and marriage. So let's pray and give Him thanks for that this morning. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You that You instruct us and show us that if we have an inward transformation in the heart, that that will make an impact in the world, in our relationships, in our love for one another, in our most intimate relationships with our spouse. But God, we we thank you that 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 desire this morning in, in each one of the men here and the women here to to do as you have commanded in Peter. It, that that desire is is a gift that comes from your grace. And God, we rely upon your favor to equip us to do it. We rely upon you daily when we fail to do what we're called to do here. As we as we pursue this, God, we we rely upon your mercy that will draw us close to you through your words, that we can minister rightly to our wives. So God, we pray that you would be honored as we pursue dwelling with our wives, pursue understanding and honoring our wives, pursue showing her the honor that is due the church through Christ's love for the church. God, help us to learn to die to self and follow Christ in all things that we do. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.